Coming up on the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 102, we have Major League Baseball Division Series in the American League and National League. We also have Week 5 in the NFL recap and Thursday night football preview. Plus, hockey started, some NBA stories, a whole lot more. All that and more coming up next on the Rami La Vie podcast. Stay tuned. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast. It is presented as always by BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. R-A-M-I for 10% off your first month of online therapy. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Obviously, I haven't recorded since last Friday. So it's Thursday now, October 13th. And we got a ton. We got all the stuff from week five in the NFL. We got a preview of Thursday night football. We have Major League Baseball playoffs. Hockey season. Hockey is back. So hockey started for the Rangers and for the rest of the NHL. And we also have basketball coming up. So a lot to talk about on this episode. But I want to start with Major League Baseball playoffs because I didn't even get to recap what happened over the weekend. The Yankees obviously play their first game in the division series. So there's a lot to get to. The Yankees maybe have a game on Thursday today. Uh, or maybe they don't. We'll see what happens with the Yankees if they get rain delayed to Friday. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I want to start with the Mets. And I want to start with the wild card round that ended on Sunday at City Field. And it ended pretty meekly for the New York Mets. And yes, I'm a Yankee fan. If you're watching this right now, I'm wearing the Yankee hoodie. But nobody wanted to see that. If you are a New York sports fan, if you are someone who roots for sports like I do, you don't want to see the Mets go down. I wanted to see the Mets do well. I said it before the series, and I kind of thought that either they would get swept or they would actually go on a run. But it's kind of weird because game one, they totally fold. Game two, if it weren't for Jacob deGrom, honestly, I think they lose that game. So I think they do get swept if it's not for Jacob deGrom. And then game three, they fold again. They only have one hit in game three. And like I said, as a New Yorker, I'm upset. Even though I'm a Yankee fan, I kind of wanted to see what the Mets were able to do in this postseason. But more than that, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm a Jets fan. And this is not good. This is tells you that maybe some things transcend everything. And the DNA of a certain franchise, you can't change it no matter what happens. And with the Mets, it definitely feels like that. Where no matter what happens, you change the owner. You change the players. You bring in new players. You change everything. You change the culture. And yet some things, the more they change, the more they stay the same. And the Mets get bounced in the playoffs the way they did. And they go down weekly, getting only one hit in the wild card round against a team in the San Diego Padres, who the Mets should have beaten. The Mets are better than that team. And it's what you hate about baseball and what's what you love about baseball. Baseball is played over 162. 
We talk about statistics. We put all our energy into numbers and the long run. And this guy, yeah, it'll even out. All the stats will even out. That's why we allow guys to strike out a lot. We want them to hit a lot of home runs. We want them to swing for the fences. Batting averages, numbers, all these different things that we do in baseball. Just for it to all come down to one swing, one pitch, one missed strike call, one call at first base, a ball that's either fair or foul, a home run that's not by inches. All that stuff is what it comes down to in the playoffs. And we put all our energy into 162 only for it to come down to a few moments. And it's why the baseball playoffs are wild and random and so much fun. But the only way to combat that is with a hot starting pitcher. And the reason you get a great starting pitcher is for those playoff games when anything can happen. We saw it with the Nationals a couple years ago in 2019. We saw it with the Braves last year. Those weren't the best teams in the league, but they got hot. They went on a run. So the Mets go out, they get Max Scherzer, they have Jacob DeGrom. Why do they have those guys? They have them for these moments. They have them for a playoff series where you need your two best starting pitchers to show up and pitch like aces that they are. And yet, down the stretch of the season, whether it was the final weekend of the season in Atlanta or whether it was against the Padres at home, those two guys did not come through. And I guess Jacob DeGrom came through the second time, but it was not good enough. And I told you, the Mets... They were going to have to get up off the mat. After this incredible season that they had, they win 101 games, but they lose in that series. They get swept in Atlanta, and a large part of it due to the performances of Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom. And I don't want to excuse the offense, of course. The offense was awful, but a lot of it's going to fall on the shoulders of those guys. And then they have a chance to redeem themselves at home against the Padres, a lesser team. This isn't the Braves. This isn't the Braves that have been a really good team and a thorn in your side if you're the Mets your entire life if you're a Met fan. No, it's not that team. And yet the Mets still couldn't come through and they couldn't beat the San Diego Padres and they lose. They go down in three games. And now the question marks start to build. DeGrom is a pending free agent. Max Scherzer is a year older. You're paying him all that money and he didn't come up big this year. He's going to have to prove himself next year. Yeah, he had a great season. Yeah, the 2-3 ERA, all that stuff looks fantastic. But then you look at when it really mattered. And we know he can perform in big games. He's been a big game pitcher his whole career. But when it really mattered, for the Mets, he did not come through. And he's going to have to erase that next year. Only he'll be a year older. Jacob deGrom hasn't been able to stay healthy the last few years. Finally, he was healthy. And in his one start in Atlanta, I know he was good in Game 2 on Saturday night against the Padres. But in Atlanta, he wasn't good enough. This is not good enough right now. They're starting pitching beyond that. We saw it Chris Bassett. That's their number three starter. You're relying on Cookie Carrasco. And you look at the bullpen. Edwin Diaz, also a free agent. The bullpen was part of the team that we thought needed strengthening at the deadline. And they didn't strengthen it. So now, you can't lose Diaz. Diaz was the best closer in baseball arguably this season and I don't think it's arguable I think he was the best closer in baseball this year you can't lose him so you got to re-sign him also and you go to the other side Nimmo a free agent you have two more years of control with McNeil and Alonzo but there's going to be a serious reaction to this what do the Mets do what does a contract for Jacob deGrom look like do you bet on him staying healthy are you giving him 40 million dollars a year over the next four five six years You have Marte and Lindor locked up. We know that. But there's question marks all over the place for the Mets. This is different than 2016. In 2016, when the Mets were bouncing the wild card round, they had just gone to the World Series in 15. You had Syndergaard, DeGrom, Wheeler, and you had Matt Harvey. 
and it felt like it was a team on the rise. But it wasn't it. Now, with this team, this is not a team on the rise. This is a team that's in win-now mode. This is a team that's trying to maximize what you have with Scherzer, what you have with DeGrom, what you have with Edwin Diaz. And I know Alonzo, McNeil, Nemo, those are guys that are pretty young. You have Lindor and Marte locked up for a long time. But you got to win now. you got to figure out what you're going to do with that starting rotation. And what does the reaction to this look like if you're Steve Cohen? Does this mean you're going to make a major run at Judge? Who we'll talk about when the Yankee season is over. I don't want to even talk about him right now. And what the Yankees should do with him. I think the first thing you have to do is put an offer sheet in front of DeGrom. Put an offer sheet in front of Diaz. Put an offer sheet in front of Alonzo and McNeil and Nimmo. Your guys that are your guys. Especially especially McNeil because he was the only guy who showed up in the games in Atlanta and the games at home against the Padres. And you put an offer sheet in front of those guys and you make sure they sign and stay here. And then you build from there. Whatever that means. If that means signing another pitcher. If that means trying to bring young guys up. If that means going out and trying to make a splash and try and pry judge away from the Yankees no matter how their season ends. This was unacceptable. And like I said... It's just in the DNA. Some teams, no matter what happens, it just stays the same. And for the Mets, it feels like that. And as a Jet fan who's hopeful right now, the basketball season is getting underway. A Nick fan who's hopeful always when you have the beginning of a season. Anytime there's a beginning of a season, you feel hopeful. This just reminds you, sometimes the DNA, it trumps all of it. And I hope that's not the case going forward. It sucks that the Mets season ended this way. It really does. As a Yankee fan, I'm saying that 100% honestly. Not only because I wanted a Subway Series and I wanted to beat the Mets in the World Series. But I wanted to see a team that had been beat down for so long in this city finally overcome and finally prove that no, you can change things. Things can change. And I talked about this a while ago with the Jets that there could be a bright light at the end of the tunnel. They could change the culture. And it was because of the Mets that were giving me inspiration. Some things never change. For the Padres, they move on. But they move on to face the Dodgers. And before tonight, I didn't think the Padres would ever beat the Dodgers in a playoff game. And finally, they did it. And even in the 7th, the 8th, the ninth, the Dodgers kept having runners on base. And every time, I thought the Dodgers were going to come through and tie and take the lead in that game. And they didn't do it. But if you're the Padres, of course you have to come through. You have the Tatis situation. I know he's not on the team right now. But that's not looking real good for you. You have that guy signed up, locked up for a long time. You still haven't locked up Soto long-term yet. You put all your eggs in that basket, you better hope you get that deal done. You have you Darvish, who's been good down the stretch, but he's 37 years old and you have one more year of him. And you have Blake Snell, one more year of Blake Snell. And he's also getting up there in age and he's been inconsistent the last few years. Can they overcome the Dodgers? And if not this year, then when? The Dodgers aren't going away anytime soon. So for the Padres, this is as important a series as ever. And the fact that they beat the Mets, that's huge for them. And the fact that they now took a game and they split the first two games and they have this opportunity going home, like I said, the playoffs, it doesn't matter what happened in 162. Dodgers won 111 of them. The Padres, not even close. But it doesn't matter anymore. Take advantage of the opportunity you have. It's 1-1 in the series and you're going home to play this Dodger team that you've never beaten before in the playoffs and you're tied 1-1. You have a real opportunity or you have an MVP on your team in Manny Machado. You have some players who are really good. You have a pitching rotation that's proven to be really good. You got to take advantage if you are the Padres. Speaking of taking advantage, the Mariners didn't take advantage. When you get that type of performance 
from Justin Verlander, who's never going to perform like that in a postseason game. I don't care what the numbers say. More often than not, he's dominated in the playoffs. When you get a performance like that, and you get to a guy like Justin Verlander, you must close out that game. I was going to come in here and talk about how division series is anything can happen. Because you play each other so many times during the year, it's wild. It's the wild, wild west, right? At least for the Dodgers and Padres it is. But for the Astros and Mariners also, anything can happen because it's a division opponent. That's the last person you want to see. When I was talking about the Yankee playoff matchups, I didn't want to see Toronto. I didn't want to see Tampa Bay. When they got knocked out in their wild card rounds, I was happy. Because I knew I didn't want to face those guys. Anything can happen in a series when you're playing against a division opponent, especially when your team has Luis Castillo. One of the best pitchers in baseball is on as hot a streak as we've seen a starter in baseball. And you had an opportunity against Justin Verlander to go up one nothing in that series on the road, and you blew it. And now I don't think there's any coming back from that. I think they get swept in this series. Yeah, now you have Castillo going in game two. Sure, that's fine. But that's it. After that, I guess you get him in game five if it gets to that. But how's it going to get to that at this point? That said, anything can happen in the division. Which takes us to Philly and Atlanta, the other division. Also tied at 1-1, heading back to Philly. Philly stole game one. And now, after being up in the series 1-0, you knew that your next two games were going to be Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. Zach Wheeler was good till the sixth. He gives up the three runs. That was the difference in the game. The Braves take game two. You still have Aaron Nola, one of your best pitchers, going in game three. And you're going to have Zach Wheeler maybe for another game in the series. The Phillies are very much in this series, and that feels like a team that with everything that happened this season, firing the manager, the bullpen in shambles, Castellanos and what he had to go through, Alec Baum, what he had to go through, saying, I freaking hate this place. Bryce Harper and his injuries coming off of the MVP season. You have a couple of guys who have been consistently great in Kyle Schwarber and JT Real Muto, and you have two starting pitchers, and you're starting to figure it out a little bit in the bullpen. This team, if they can overcome Atlanta, like I said, division series, anything can happen. Two teams that play each other 18 times a year. It's random. Things get crazy. And if you're the Phillies, you got to go home, take a commanding 2-1 series lead with your best pitcher or second best pitcher on the mound in Aaron Nola. And I know it's not going to be easy. Atlanta hasn't aimed a starter yet for game three. It's not going to be a cakewalk. But you have an opportunity to take advantage and be up 2-1 after splitting the first two games. And it might be different. Remember the Yankees in 2018 when they split the first two games with the 108-win Boston Red Sox? And this goes for the Dodgers. This goes for the Mariners and Astros series. This goes for the Philly and Atlanta series. It felt like the Yankees were going to come home up 2-1. Severino going in Game 3. Kind of a similar situation for the Phillies right now. You have Nola going in Game 3 already with the series tied with 1. And the Yankees lost two games in a row at home. You can't let that happen if you're Philly. Obviously, there was the debacle that year for Luis Severino. But if you're a Philly, you got to come home. And there's an opportunity here for the Phillies. Like I said, if Bryce can figure it out, Castellanos is figuring it out already in the playoffs. JT Lermuto, Reese Hoskins, Kyle Schwarber, Alec Baum, all these guys starting to click at the right times. And you get those two starting pitchers going in Wheeler and Nola. The bullpen starting to click a little bit. The back end, for sure. All of a sudden, it feels like you have a really good team and a really good chance to go on a run if you're the Phillies. I could see that happening for Philly. But it starts in Game 3 against Atlanta. All right, to my New York Yankees, they are facing the Cleveland Guardians in Game 1. It starts and ends with Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, I've bashed him all season long. I've always said his starts are predictable. He telegraphs exactly what he's going to do before he does it. 
when something starts to go wrong, he lets it beat him. And yet, he didn't have his ace stuff. He's coming off the wild card game last year. He's coming off a shaky season this season. And with all that, he guts through it, gets you six and a third, only gives up the solo home run. In that third inning, I thought the game was over. After everything that happened on the bases, the error by Kiner Falefa earlier, you have the bases loaded, and he gets a strike three that should have been a called strike three. Instead, it's called a ball, and he should have been out of the inning to Jimenez. I was sure the next pitch was going to be a grand slam. Because every start that Garrett Cole made this season, after that pitch that doesn't go his way, that's when he gives up the grand slam. And in this game, he strikes him out. And it's his first home playoff start as a Yankee. And he walked off that mound with a standing ovation. And he deserved every ounce of it. And if I'm going to bash him when I believe that he deserves to be bashed, i got to praise him when he deserves to be praised. Because that was one of the best performances he's had as a Yankee. And I'll go as far as to say... That all things considered, coming off of last year, coming off of the season he had this year, with not having his best stuff, with the shakiness, with the defense behind him not being great, with the early run given up, with the third inning being shaky, the high pitch count, everything that goes into it, all things considered, that is the best performance we've seen from Garrett Cole as a Yankee in the most important start he's made to this point as a Yankee. He's got to do it a few more times if the Yankees want to go where they need to get to. But if I'm going to bash him, when I believe he's bad, I got to give him his praise and I got to give him his due when he comes to when he pulls through with a game like that because that was as impressive as anything else. Now we got to deal with the left side of the infield. Those two guys who we've been talking about all year, it's been a talking point all year. And I don't know what a guy like Josh Donaldson does in a locker room. People say it's great. What he does for the locker room is irreplaceable. I don't know if that's true or not. But all I can judge him is by what I see on the field. And yes, he's an incredible third baseman. He made a great play. But it's not the first time that he's jogged to first after thinking what he hitting what he thought was a home run, and it wasn't, and he gets out. This is a guy who's constantly made mistakes, and with all that, he's still batting two twenty. And if you look at a box score, he had a couple of hits, he had a walk, he looked like he had a really good game. We know he had a great play in the field. And that's why he's so frustrating because he's a weird player. He's hard to figure out. But enough is enough. Another error from Isaiah Kiner Falefa, and I know. Peraza was left off of the playoff roster. I guess it was either for Marwin or maybe it was for Aaron Hicks. I don't know which one of those guys was the guy who was kept on the playoff roster for Peraza, but Peraza's not on the roster. So if you're going to replace one of those guys, you put Cabrera there, you throw someone else in the outfield, you don't really have any other options if you're the Yankees. At least for this division series, it's going to be kinder for Leffa and Donaldson, but those two guys have to figure it out. Obviously, kinder for Leffa does come through with that single and then the error, and he gets to third on that play. I think that was huge, especially because it was right after the Donaldson mishap, and the Yankees go score a run. But you talk about Cabrera also. What he did in this game was special. That kid making the catch, he's not phased by anything. He's not phased by the moment. It's never too big for him. It's never too bright for him. Harrison Bader, the same thing. Harrison Bader was built for New York. Harrison Bader's a New Yorker himself. Grew up, it seems like he kind of grew up a Yankee fan. He said in 2009 he was at those games, and he's playing to the crowd. He's playing to the other fielders. You see him celebrating outs when Cabrera made that catch. He looks to him and he gives him like the let's go. He hits the home run to tie it in his first Yankee playoff. First Yankee at bat in the postseason. First Yankee stadium at bat in the postseason. He's going nuts as he's going around the bases. And of course Rizzo hits a home run in the wild card game last year. We know Rizzo is a big time player, big game player. And he's proven it yet again in this series He's already come up big. He saves guys' errors all day long over there at first base. 
Anthony Rizzo is a beast for this team. He's kind of the heartbeat of the team. He's the heart and soul of this team. And with everything that's going wrong with this team, if you look at the lineup side of it, you look at no DJ LeMahieu, Matt Carpenter, who knows what he's going to be coming off the injury. Giancarlo Stanton can't play in the outfield. The question marks with Donaldson, the question marks with Kiner Falefa that we talked about, Anthony Rizzo being a steady guy that you can rely on, especially in the clutch for this team, especially if he's batting behind Judge in the lineup, even if he's not directly behind them. But batting behind Judge in the batting order, that's going to be huge for the Yankees. They're going to need him to be huge if they want to go on a run. And he was huge in Game 1 of this series. Also, another thing I noticed, if you watch the bench in this series for the Yankee bench, it seemed like they were having fun. They didn't seem intimidated by the moment at all. They didn't seem like this was too big for them. They were loose. They were having a good time. They were laughing. Nestor Cortez was mic'd up, and the way he was talking on the bench, like, hey, you know, if we start going down, I might have to take this off. Him talking about the confidence, like, yeah, it's one run. We're down one run. What's the big deal? If we think the game's over, we can't give up now. And Matt Carpenter, a guy who's won a World Series, him on the front step of the dugout, him jumping out of the dugout to celebrate the Bader home run, the Rizzo home run. He's a guy, especially if he gets in a couple games and gets a big hit, because you know at some point his time's going to come to get a big pitch hit opportunity. If that happens... For Matt Carpenter, all of a sudden, he's a guy whose spirit alone can carry this team even further than where you thought they could get without him. But now we turn to game two. It's just game one. There's only one game so far down. You need 11 of these wins to win a World Series, and the Yankees have only won one of them. And so game two, you have Nestor Cortez, and like I said, he seemed loosey-goosey. He seemed ready. At any point that you want to doubt Nestor, he proved the critics wrong, Right. The whole year, he's a guy who you don't expect him to keep it going. And yet, we haven't seen him pitch in a couple of weeks. Who knows what he's going to look like after the long rest. But I'd expect him to do exactly what he's done all year, which is even if he doesn't have his A stuff, he'll gut it out. He'll give you something of quality. And on paper, yeah, he's overmatched by far with Shane Bieber opposing him. But the Yankees, I right now have some confidence in this team. Caution, yeah, cautiously optimistic, right? But still, optimistic nonetheless. Up one nothing in the series. Nestor Cortez has been their best pitcher all year long. They got to Shane Bieber in that 2020 weird COVID season in the wild card round in Cleveland. For what that's worth, I don't know. But maybe it's worth something. And I expect Nestor to go out there and do what he's done all year. And speaking of Nestor doing what he's done all year, this is as big as the Yankees are going to need the starting rotation to step up in as long as I can remember. In a playoff run. When Aaron Boone is maneuvering this bullpen. You don't know what move he's going to make next. And he said it himself. He's going to decide his bullpen decisions. Based on matchups. Based on a bunch of different things. Because there's no set guy in this bullpen that you trust. Who do we trust out of this bullpen if you're the Yankees? If the Yankees win this World Series. Aaron Boone's maneuvering. His use of the bullpen. His use of the starting rotation. And how long he leaves guys in. The way he did with Garrett Cole. His mixing and matching his matchups out of the bullpen, like he did with Wandy Peralta, Jonathan Loaiza, and Clay Holmes. His use of his pinch hitters off the bench, even his starting lineup. There is not a single thing on this Yankee team that is set in stone. And we I don't remember the last time we had a Yankee team like that. And if the Yankees go on a run this year, Aaron Boone is going to have to be masterful. And I believe he can do it. From everything I've seen this year, the Yankees are different than past Yankee teams. Think about Aroldis Chapman. In past years, Aroldis Chapman would still be on this team. When he was started to get hot down the stretch and had a couple of outings where he looked okay, not even great, I was like, oh boy, he's going to be the closer again. 
And no, it's different. They're holding guys accountable these days. Think about it with Aaron Hicks. He's not just given the spot. Oswaldo's getting the spot over him. Think about Kyle Agashioka and Trevino or Clay Holmes even earlier in the year. There are so many things that proved this year that the Yankees are not just giving these spots away anymore. You have to earn everything on this team. And I think that's key during this playoff run. And what's interesting is Aaron Boone is not going to be running to go to the bullpen. In past Yankee teams, it was like the bullpen was our strength. So if the starter gets us through four or five innings, we're good. The starter did their job, and now the bullpen has to come in. But with the bullpen being such a question mark, now we can't do that. And I think that might be a benefit for this team. And the reason why is because in the past, let's say you would go to the bullpen in the fifth or sixth inning because we had this great strength that was the bullpen. You needed so many different guys to get the job done. The odds of one of them faltering were very high. You needed a bunch of different guys to come in one after the other. Yeah, they were all great, but it's the playoffs. Anything can happen. Whereas now, we're not relying on as many guys. Everyone has a short leash, but the starters, it seems like. And it seems like we're going to be riding Nestor, Cole, and Severino, and those are going to be our horses in the playoffs, and we're going to have to ride them as long as we can. And with these hitters, it's going to be the same thing. We're going to see Matt Carpenter, like I said, in a big pinch hit situation. If Donaldson and IKF don't perform, we're going to see Peraza. We're going to see Cabrera. That's just a matter of fact of what's happening in these playoffs right now. We might get DJ LeMahieu a little bit later in the playoffs if we get that far. But like I said, the mixing and matching that Aaron Boone is going to do if the Yankees go on a run is going to be impressive. And I think he could do it. Another guy in the bullpen who's out is Scott Efros, a guy who they trade for at the deadline. So many different question marks for this Yankee team. I don't know what's going to happen in the long run. I don't know if they could sustain it with all the question marks. But like I said, why not them? Any team can get hot. I talked about it with the Phillies. I talked about it with the San Diego Padres. I talked about it with the Seattle Mariners. Could it happen for Cleveland and the Yankees get bounced in this round? Sure it can. But the Yankees can also find something that works. Maybe they find some rhythm. Maybe it's Wendy Peralta one day. Maybe it's someone else another day. But all the different things that are surrounding this team, the different maneuvering that Aaron Boone's going to have to do, and they have one guy named Aaron Judge, who's the best player in baseball right now. I hope you don't forget, still when he comes up to the plate, I look at those numbers and I'm like, my God, he really did that this season? That's insanity. And with all that, I think the Yankees have a real opportunity to go on a run in these playoffs. Like I said, one win down, still 10 to go. But I'm excited for what might happen either tonight or Friday night, whenever they play next. I hope they can take a commanding 2 nothing lead in the series and go to Cleveland up 2-0 to try and close it out with Luis Severino on the bump. A couple of things that I forgot about, because I guess they play the wild card game last year. I forgot about how long playoff games are, where it feels like every pitch is so important. I thought the game was over in the third inning because of how it looked like Garrett Cole was imploding. And it wasn't. The Yankees came back. This game is long. You know, there's so many different moments. And that's what's great. Another thing that's great about uh, baseball playoffs. So that was fun. And now the off day, the off day threw me off completely. I'm used to momentum two games in a row. I wanted the Yankees to come back out on Wednesday night and they don't. And they might not even play tonight on Thursday night. So I thought that was a mishap by the Yankee, by the Major League Baseball and scheduling to not schedule the two days in a row the way they always do, to schedule that day off in between. Because now they box themselves into a corner where if they don't get this game in on Thursday, they're going to have to play four days in a row if the series goes the difference, goes the distance. If the series goes the distance. And having four games consecutively in a division series, that can't be great, especially having two days off in the middle of a division series. Not great either. I don't like how baseball did this. They should have seen, I know you can't predict the weather that far out, but they should have seen a scenario like this could have played out where you're going to have to play a game, 
travel, play the next two days, and then travel back potentially, that can't be a good situation. So if that turns for the Yankees, if the Yankees end up losing in this series because of a weird scheduling thing, you can't blame the schedule. You have to adapt. Both teams are going to have to adapt. But it's kind of unfortunate that it worked out the way it worked out. All right, that's all I got on baseball. Like I said, obviously tonight we have hopefully the Yankee game and we also have game two of the Astros and Mariners in the National League. Both division series are tied at one. So we'll see if it's more of the same in the American League. Like I told you, I don't think the Astros are going to lose. I think no matter how good Luis Castillo has been, you had to take advantage of what you were able to do against Justin Verlander in game one of that series. The Mariners did not. And now maybe they falter from here on out, but we'll see. And for the Yankees, Shane Bieber's fantastic. He was incredible against Tampa, but we got Nestor. And I trust Nasty Nestor because he's given me zero reason not to trust him. To the National Football League. I'm not going to go through every game like I said, but I want to start with the New York Giants. You thought I was going to say Jets because I'm a Jets fan and I've started with the Jets every week. But no, I'm starting with the Giants. Why am I starting with the Giants? Because what they've done so far this year is as impressive as any team in the league. The Giants could easily at this point. Now that they're 4-1, they beat the Packers. They come back against the Packers in London. And by the way, yeah, I'm raising my hand. I told you so. I told you the Giants had a chance. If there was ever a time, I told you two podcasts ago, I told you last episode, I told you two episodes in a row that there was, if there was ever a time that the Giants could beat the Green Bay Packers, it would be on the road in London. Weird game. The Packers look wonky. If there's ever a time the Jets don't want to face the Packers, it's right now. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the New York Giants beat the Packers. They're 4-1. and one. And you can't say that they haven't beaten anyone yet because if you look at the rest of their schedule, they're not playing a whole bunch of anyone. They get to play the Ravens this week, and the Ravens still kind of iffy. The offense the last couple weeks has not looked great. And if you look at the rest of the Giants' schedule, they obviously have the NFC East, which all of a sudden looks like a beast of a division, right? You have Dallas, who's been really good since Cooper Rush took over. You have Philly, who hasn't lost a game. And now you have the Giants. The only team that's bad is Carson Wentz. I mean, the Washington Commanders. And even they're not half bad if Carson Wentz can get out of his own way. But outside of that, who are the Giants really playing this year? So they get to play the Ravens next. And then after that, if the Giants, and looking through their schedule, if they don't go 11-6, and six, you think they can't go 6-6 six and six the rest of the way to make it to 10-7? and seven? I think they can. I think that's actually really realistic. And here's the thing that happens with games like this. Teams like the Giants... When they're really well coached, and like I said, Dable's prepared for things that it seems like he should never be prepared for. Like Aaron Rodgers trying to catch them, changing their defense, or too many men on the field, or anything like that. Dable was ready for it. Nobody's ready for that. I can't wait to see how many times Rodgers, in contrast, catches the Jets with too many men on the field, or offsides, or anything like that. It's what he does to every team in the league. It wouldn't even be a shame if he did it to the Jets, because he does it to everyone. And yet he couldn't do it to Brian Dable's Giants. Brian Dable, the way he is coaching this team, he's easily already potentially the coach of the year in the NFL. And like I said, he just has to go 500 the rest of the year for them to be 10-7 and and likely a playoff team. And it doesn't matter the talent. It doesn't matter anything. They start to build confidence. This is what happens with teams like the New York Giants. You start to build confidence. You start to get on a roll. And instead of talking about trading Saquon, or if you're on ESPN and you're trying to make a headline because you're a fill-in, And nobody knows your name, including me. And I wouldn't even say that person's name because, I mean, the four people listening to my podcast, I wouldn't want to embarrass you. But the take on ESPN today, which was the Giants are doing themselves a disservice by winning these games because they're just going to be mediocre anyway. And they should be playing for a higher draft pick. Mediocrity Mediocrity doesn't get you anywhere. Have you watched these Giants? They're not playing to be mediocre. 
Now, the last team to come off of an England game or a London game and win without a buy in between, which, by the way, I always thought it was automatic. You get a buy. If you play in London, you get a buy coming back home. Apparently not. Like these teams are going to London now, just coming home the next week and playing games on Sunday like nothing happened. So Minnesota and the Saints both came home and played this week, and Minnesota actually won. And they were the first team ever to win a game after winning in London and not having a bye week the following week. So the Giants will try and become the second team to come home from London without a bye week in between and win. And they'll have to do it against, like I said, the Ravens, who I think are a pretty good team, who already won a game once at MetLife Stadium this year and now travel back to MetLife Stadium to try and go 2-0 in that stadium this year. I don't know if that's an advantage or a disadvantage. Who knows? But I think they can do it. And like I said, this team, if you look at the Giants team, they can beat anyone in the league. Can they lose to anyone in the league? Yeah, but you can't have that mentality. They are a team that they're not more talented than you, but they're definitely more prepared than you are. And they have a chance to beat every single team in this league this year. And they're going to be a really fun team. Like I said, they could go 11-6 and six with ease and make the playoffs. 10-7, and seven, definitely on the table. 10-7 and seven at this point might even be a disappointment for the New York Giants. To the Jets and their game on Sunday. And it starts with Sauce Gardner. You can't talk about this game without talking about what Sauce did. The very first play of the game, and like I said with Garrett Cole, when you take someone and you take shots at someone all year, you got to give them credit where credit's due. The very first play of the game, Robert Sala, who knows Mike McDaniel really well, calls a blitz off the edge with Sauce Gardner. They get the intentional grounding call, which leads to the safety. And Sauce also, a perfectly legal hit, dips his shoulder into Teddy Bridgewater, knocks him out of the game, and that changes the entire complexion of the game. You take advantage right away. You get two points. You get your offense on the field. It's a huge momentum shift for the Jets. And yeah, they let the Dolphins hang in that game a little longer than I wanted them to, but Sauce Gardner had the interception. He's playing against Waddle and Tyreek Hill, two guys. He threw up the deuces after he got the interception, which is obviously Tyreek Hill's move. It didn't matter. Sauce Gardner's not intimidated by anyone. And yeah, there are going to be quarterbacks, whether you're a seventh round rookie quarterback who's coming in and so you don't even know any better. You're just proud you got an opportunity to play maybe or you're Aaron Rodgers and you think you're better than anyone. There are going to be quarterbacks in this league who are cocky enough to throw on Sauce Gardner and he's going to keep making plays. And the rookies as a whole, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, who I know is in his second year, but you think about the rookies and second year players. Elijah Vera Tucker, Michael Carter, Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore. Those players are insane. And you look up and down. It's not too early to get excited about the Jets. Yeah, they're 3-2 and two now. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game against the Packers coming up next week. They'll likely be 3-3 three and three after going to Lambeau. It's not an ideal fit time. If there's ever an ideal time to go to Lambeau, this is not it. You don't want to be going to Lambeau after the Packers are mad coming home after losing the way they lost to the Giants. But look at this Jets team. Zach Wilson's 23 years old, Brees Hall's 21, Vera Tucker's 23, Michael Carter's 23, Garrett Wilson, 22, Elijah Moore's 22 years old, Sauce Gardner's 22 years old, Coonan Williams, who feels like it's been in the league forever at this point, is only 24, DJ Reed, who don't lose him, he's been playing corner on the other side almost as well as Sauce Gardner has, is 25, he's only 25 years old, Jordan White had the same for him, only 25 years old, Max Mitchell, who's looked like a beast, is 22. Jermaine Johnson is 23. And who knows what we'll ever get from Mekhi Becton again, but he's still only 23. It's still too early to write him off. You can get excited about this Jets team. 
I don't care. They're building it the right way. You look at the foundation of those players that Joe Douglas has been able to build. And I told you, I don't love the head coach, but we're seeing improvements week to week finally from the head coach. And maybe it's because he knows Mike McDaniel that well. I don't know. But we're starting to see improvements from this head coach. And it's not too early to get excited about this team. And I had a conversation that was interesting with a Dolphins fan this week where he was like, this typical happens to us. We just fall apart. We start the season off strong and we just fall apart. And you think when you're in it, you think that your team, you have your perspective. You think that your team is the team that's falling apart always. It's always losing the big games. And as a Jets fan, of course you feel that way. But you remember there are other fan bases out there that kind of feel the same way as you. And the Dolphins last few years have been a beaten down franchise. All of a sudden, if they feel that way, this division, this conference doesn't look as daunting as it once did. And maybe the Jets can win a couple of games, sneak into a playoff spot. Scare a bunch of people. Now, I'm terrified of Bailey Zappi. He's probably the next Tom Brady. They win 29 nothing against Detroit, right? This kid, of course, the kid who's the backup to the backup, gets an opportunity to play, and all of a sudden, he's awesome. And when it seemed like the Patriots were done and dead, they're coming back. They're revived. But I still think the Jets team is better than the Patriots. They could be better than the Dolphins, maybe. And maybe you steal a game. I don't think you'll win a game against Buffalo, but he talked about it with the Giants. I think the Jets have a tougher schedule, but they play a team who's looked really bad like Denver. I don't know. This is a team that could do some things and could end up staying relevant, at least to the second half of the season. We haven't had that. This team hasn't been over 500 since Sam Darnold's rookie game that they won in Detroit. They haven't been over 500 since then. So to get excited about this team at this point, you have every right to get excited because you've had literally nothing to get about excited about this team for the last four years. And finally, you have a little bit of something. And like I said, that list that I just rattled off, you have more than a little bit of something to get excited about. And so how does this season play out? I don't know. But you had a weird offensive line situation to start the year where you haven't had the same offensive line consistently for two weeks in a row yet. You had your backup quarterback, who's literally a skeleton in Joe Flacco for three weeks. And yet you're 3-2 and two with an opportunity. And yeah, is it the worst possible time to play the Packers? Sure. There's never a good time to play them, though. This team could go out there. I think they could surprise some people. I don't know. Now, if I'm the Packers and I'm looking at this, I have a very simple game plan against the Jets. And they should have done this against the New York Giants, too. Run the ball down their throat. The Jets, with all those guys up front who are actually pretty good, still... They couldn't really stop the run against the Dolphins on Sunday, it seemed like. And the Packers, you have these two running backs. You shorten the game, and here's what can happen. If you're the Packers, it's very simple. If you start running the ball against the Jets, and you put that Jets defense, that's the strength of their team, right? You put them out there again and again, and the Jets get a couple of quick three and outs. Maybe the Packers go up 10-0 really early. They get the ball first, run it right down their throat, score a touchdown, score a field goal the next drive. Jets go three and out. All of a sudden, the entire first quarter is over. The Jets offense hasn't been on the field at all. Instead of the Jets trying to run the ball, which clearly was their strength last week, they ran it down the throat of the Dolphins. All of a sudden, the Jets are having to throw on every down. We'll get to see what Zach Wilson can do because I think the Jets will be chasing points in this game. But it's so simple if you're the Packers. You want to just run the ball down the Jets. So the Packers should have done this against the Giants. They had success running the ball with Dylan and Jones, but they didn't do it. Why didn't they do it? I don't know. Maybe it's Aaron Rodgers. And that's the thing we talk about always with Aaron Rodgers is his diva and how he's trying to control things. Why they were getting in shotgun at the end of that game when they had that lead and trying to continue to throw it when it wasn't working. You don't have the receivers anymore. And when is there major cause for concern if you're the Green Bay Packers? Look, this could be a get-right game 
Last time I predicted a get-right game, it was for Tampa, and it was a get-right game for Tampa. This could be a get-right game for the Packers, where they go out there and it's at home against a team like the New York Jets, who, yes, I'm excited about them, but they're not that good a team, and they come out and they dominate them. And they throw the ball over the yard. They run the ball. The balance is perfect. Rodgers is not cursing anyone out. They're happy. But when do we start to have major concern about this team? Does it take the Jets beating them? Does it take the Jets keeping it close? What happens this week where all of a sudden maybe it shifts and we're like, oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't be so sure that the Packers are this great team. And I kind of thought of a trade. And look, yeah, I'm half joking when I say this. But to me, this makes perfect sense. If the Denver Broncos called the Packers and said, hey, our head coach is Aaron Rodgers, former quarterback coach. We have some really good receivers out here in Sutton, Hamler, Judy, who could play well with Aaron Rodgers. We'll take that diva off your hands. All you have to do is take Russell Wilson. Yeah, he's had a few bad games. He's really hurt. Shoulder. He likes to run the ball a lot. You put him with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, he'll have a blast. Who says no in that situation? The Packers... You got one more year out of Aaron Rodgers. Are you really happy about it? You got him to come back for a year. He's not happy. You really think that's going well for your team? That he's pissed off and moping around? Seems like he's bringing down the vibes in Green Bay. And Russell Wilson, you want out of this contract if you're Denver. It's not working out. Feels like you got duped with the head coach. He had a good relationship with Rodgers. That's why you brought him in because you wanted to kind of get Rodgers in. That didn't work out. You double down on your mistake, like I said, with Russell Wilson. You bring him in. And by the way, my God, when's the NFL going to learn? Denver is playing their fourth primetime game on Monday Night Football this week in the first six weeks of the season. How many times is it going to be that we have to see this godforsaken team in primetime? Luckily, I have a holiday. I won't be seeing it. But Russell Wilson is a disaster. And what I kind of tried to talk about, and I know I'm kidding when it comes to the Rodgers stuff, like it would be fun. It would be kind of cool if a team actually did that, if this was fantasy football, where it's like, hey, we both solve each other's problems here. You take my problem, I take your problem. I really do think Russell Wilson could look good in that offense if they relied heavily. And by the way, that's the type of offense with Shanahan over there or from the Shanahan tree, LaFleur in Green Bay would run that could benefit a guy like Russell Wilson. And they could lean heavily on the run. And you want to talk about a guy who's not going to mind leaning heavily on the run. He's not going to say, no, 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 now I need to get in shotgun and win the game because I'm Aaron Rodgers. Russell Wilson would not say that. He'll say, yeah, keep me out of the plays. Let's keep running. He still has some serious PTSD from not handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. He'll be handing it off to Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon on every single play, and he won't complain about it once. And Aaron Rodgers, he'll finally have some receivers. Judy, Sutton, I'm sure he won't mind either. He'll be back with his quarterback coach. He'll be out of Green Bay like he always wanted. The only person who will be upset in this scenario is Sierra. She'll be like, wait, we went from Seattle to Green Bay? That's not what I wanted. But when you talk about Russell Wilson as a guy, and he's an interesting dude, and we talked about it, all these things, there's something interesting, and it was Kyle Brandt on NFL Network on Good Morning Football. Here's what he had to say about Russell Wilson in Denver. This is going places really fast. The last play is meaningful, not in just that it was KJ Hamler or not that he missed, it's the reaction afterwards from Hamler. It's spiking the helmets. It's that I, I don't know. I don't know when Russell Wilson turned into Mitch Trubisky, but uh, I wish he would turn into Geno Smith so they could win a game. It's a take, okay? Because Geno makes that play ten times out of ten, and then afterwards, you know, they got a fourth and one. They want to go for it. I and mean, look at that. 
That is a teammate that is on national television as at home. Afterwards, it's just perfect. They, they pass when maybe they should have run. I think Russell Wilson is one of the least authentic personalities we have in this league. I think Russell Wilson is a poser. And that doesn't mean he's a bad person. I actually think he's a good person. I think he tries to be something that he's not. And when you make the $245 million, you either got to be a really great guy with the locker room who loves you, or you got to be an amazing player. Brady, who makes half of what Russell's making, is both. Rodgers, MVP. Patrick Mahomes, both. Allen, people love him. He's amazing. Kyler, we'll find out. Russell Wilson, first of all, the NFL, the Broncos fan base has no history with him. They have no allegiance to him. This is not a Seahawks thing that they drafted him. They grew up with him. He's their guy. None of that. You know, I, got, I work the, the NFL honors. I work the red carpet. Kelsey comes by. Rodgers comes by. Russell Wilson shows up with his sunglasses and his wife, and they, I think they think they're, they're Jay-Z and Beyonce, and they will literally put their hand up and say, no, we're not talking. Why? It, it, because you think you're that cool and you're that famous and you're that amazing and everything is so perfect. That does not work in a locker room unless you are really good or really, really good guy. It just doesn't work. $245 million, bucks, that can come unraveled fast. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're missing throws like that and you're putting up nine points in a nationally televised game. Um, look out. This could come off the rails. It could. Now that said, uh, Ryan Rossillo, and I don't need to play this because it's pretty simple, said, oh, now all of a sudden Russell Wilson's a weird guy because he's playing poorly. Russell Wilson's been the same guy all along. And guess what? He's been a weird guy all along. And Rosillo, who's a big Russell Wilson fan, wasn't denying that Russell Wilson's been a weird guy. He's just saying that's not necessarily hurting his team. Just because now he's playing poorly, the narrative works. But I don't know. New team, all the old teammates, the way they're coming out and talking about Russell Wilson, doesn't sound like people love him. And it's just, yeah, it's popular now. Rosillo's right. But I still feel like I want to side with Kyle on this one. Some other stories from around the NFL... And it really reminded me why I love the Monday podcast so much because there are so many stories every week in the NFL. But I mentioned already New England, the Lions. The Lions, just a disappointment again. Anytime you expect something from them, they disappoint you. Whereas New England, they might have the next Tom Brady. Who knows? Is Dallas for real? We know their defense is for real. Can their defense carry them? I don't think Cooper Rush, 5-0 as a starter, I don't think he's the long-term guy, though, who's going to really carry you. But that's why you get Dak Prescott back. It's not the worst thing in the world to get Dak Prescott back, and all of a sudden your team, instead of being maybe 1-4 when Dak Prescott came back, they're actually 4-1, and one. and the only game they lost was when Dak Prescott was there. I don't think it's because of Dak Prescott that they were losing, and it's because he's gone that they're winning. But you put Dak Prescott back in this offense... You get it back together. You start ramping up. This defense isn't getting any worse. This team could be a real threat in the NFC also. And you think about the Rams on the other side of the corn. I, I told you, with the Rams against Dallas, I, I took the Dallas to win that game. But you look at the Rams and the Bengals. The Bengals, again, another loss. This time on Sunday night against a Ravens team that, I don't know, might be pretty good. Maybe they're really good. I don't know. It's hard to tell what the Ravens team is. But are we seeing a Super Bowl hangover on both sides? And like I said, with the Rams, it could be as simple as, yeah, they just don't really care anymore. But there's no real history for a Super Bowl champion having a hangover. You look back to Kansas City after they won the Super Bowl, they were really good. You look back, I guess, Tampa after they won the Super Bowl, not as great. So you don't really see it that a team has a Super Bowl hangover. The team that won the Super Bowl, it's usually the other team. But maybe because they went all out the way they did, that they got the Super Bowl and now it's over and it's going to fall apart rather quickly. I don't know. 
for the Bengals, they're still trying to figure it out, but that's not a new thing for a team to have a Super Bowl hangover after they lose the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean that long-term they'll be bad, but I just think they might need a little longer to figure it out. We'll stay in the NFC East because we talked about Dallas and Carson Wentz. And some interesting stats because I saw somebody post this because every time people start to bash Carson Wentz, these stats come up. And here's what it is. Carson Wentz has more completions than Mahomes, Burrow, and Rodgers so far this year. He's got more passing yards than Jalen Hurts, Aaron Rodgers, and Matthew Stafford. And he has more touchdowns than Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Kyler Murray. And guess what? Whoever wrote all those stats and took the time to research that clearly has not watched a single Washington Commanders game. Because if you watch him play, I don't care what the stats say. This guy is terrible at the quarterback position and he costs his team games. Because when you're coming down the field in a final drive and you just need a field goal or a touchdown and you need a real play from him, that's when he's going to lose it. And you saw it last year. And by the way, after the game, what Ron Rivera said, Ron Rivera said, I don't think it's the team that's played poorly. I think it's the quarterback. And he kind of caught himself and backtracked it. But for all that Carson Wentz has done and all the positive stuff and all the stats you can throw at me and his MVP season a few years ago, and even what he did last year before he ultimately blew the game, it's more about what he doesn't do and blowing the game and the teammates disliking him and all the different things. He's shown time and time again that he is not a winning quarterback in this league. And he's always the guy who's like, well, we're bringing Carson Wentz. He'll be fine. Look, he's actually really good. If you look at the numbers, if you watch him play, he seems like a really good quarterback. And he always does that one or two things that remind you that Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz. And it seems like Ron Rivera is uh, finding that out the hard way. The Chiefs comeback proves again that this Chiefs team is different and it's on a mission, different to years past where, yeah, they're really good. They know they're really good, but this year... They don't really care. Down 17 nothing, and I know the Raiders aren't the best team at all, but they come back and they win that game, and at times it feels like no matter what happens, they could do whatever they want on a football field. And in the second half of that game, that's what it felt like. They could do whatever they want. And we have our first head coach fired, Matt Rule. So those are the storylines I'm going to talk about. I know there's the pass interference stuff or the roughing the passer stuff, rather, that we could talk about. Uh, there's a lot to get to with that. There's what happened with Devontae Adams and... A, cameraman um which is wild and just quickly on that if you're the cameraman you go and file a police report you're essentially ending your career as a cameraman in the nfl so you had a media pass to every nfl game and you decided you in the heat of the moment you were going to file police report against an nfl player and even if you win a couple of bucks you just essentially ended your career as a photographer in the nfl so that was not cool and matt rule like we said you knew he was going to get fired so he was fired and it feels weird because I wasn't baseball playoffs feels late because the MLB season was pushed off the wild card round added to it so now like we're only starting the division series and like I said it's already October 13th and we just started the division series hockey starting and basketball starting it hasn't started this early since 2019 because the pandemic and the bubbles pushed everything off later and then we kind of were moving back gradually so they haven't started this early in forever the Jewish holidays are later than ever because they're usually in September this year they're in October so everything's thrown off in my calendar is thrown way out of whack so I haven't done an NBA preview haven't even done a hockey preview and when the Rangers were playing during the Yankee playoff game I was like wait how is this happening already but I had them on on mute and this Ranger game I know it's one game one of 82 but this Ranger team feels like the Spurs team after the Spurs lost to the Heat in that finals and they came back the next year and they said okay we just lost in the finals to the Heat that is not happening again 
they were on a mission from jump that year where it felt like, I know it's the NBA, it's different, where it felt like every game throughout that entire season until they won the championship felt like, okay, this team is on a mission to win. Mika Zibanejad with how he played. Chris Kreider played great too. And by the way, you won't have to face Vasilevsky every game, Kreider. He's the best goal in the league not named Igor Shosturkin. So Vasilevsky, you won't have to play Igor ever, hopefully if you're Chris Kreider, but you definitely won't have to play Vasilevsky every game. And so he robbed you at the doorstep a couple times. I think Kreider still looks like he's going to have a great season. Mika off to an incredible start. And Jacob Truba as captain, I think it's something weird. We always talked about Kreider kind of disappearing throughout seasons, the where's Chris uh, stuff with Chris Kreider. Jacob Truba kind of had that a little bit the last couple years also, where you remember last year he had those games where he had the impact, where he hurt a couple of players and they were going after him because he hit players hard, legally but hard, and he was having to fight a couple guys and all that stuff that happened with Jacob Truba last year. But he disappeared. Sometimes he was just silent. And I don't think we're going to get that this season. I think he feels a certain responsibility as the captain of the New York Rangers to come out every game and make an impact. And I think that's going to be a something that's very conscious on his mind. He's one of those players that... Yeah, he'll make mistakes. He's not the best player on the ice, but his game is predicated on him deciding to enforce himself on another team and being what he does with the hits and all that type of stuff that he can do. I think he could have a huge impact on this Ranger season this year. So I think this team, like I said, only one of 82, but they look like a team on a mission against a team that beat them four games in a row to eliminate them from the playoffs and end their season. And now the Rangers look like they're on revenge and it started at home on Tuesday night against that team, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And now hopefully they can keep it rolling again tonight in Minnesota. There's a lot of NBA stuff to get to, but I mentioned the Spurs. So I do want to mention one story in the NBA that is kind of intriguing to me. And it was a story that the media talked about with John Wall going to the Clippers. But the Clippers are intriguing to me. And if you remember the story that came out with Nick Nurse talking about how Kawhi Leonard just did whatever he wanted, even when he was in Toronto. Kawhi Leonard is the ultimate wild card in the NBA. And if he decides that he wants to play and he puts his mind to it, that team, that Clipper team with Kawhi Leonard, with Paul George, all of a sudden could be the most special team in the NBA. So if there's one story that I'm kind of intrigued by, because the NBA, everything seems to be chalk. And I'm not going to do a full NBA preview podcast here when I feel like a lot of times in the NBA, things just go how you expect them to go almost. In the NBA, if there's one story this year that's not that way, it's the LA Clippers because the wild card and the greatest wild card of all is Kawhi Leonard and what he is capable of doing on a basketball court when he's healthy, when he's right. Paul George, those guys. I don't know. I'm curious to see how that plays out for the Clippers. All right. Last thing, Thursday night football. And I've discovered a new way to gamble, a new way that I'm going to bet the NFL. Um, I went seven and eight in my picks, which is my worst week yet of the season. Overall, I missed a game, so I'm 41 and 38 on the season. Not great. So, what I've decided is I'm going to do a little guess the lines the way Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal do. And I won't go through the whole me guessing the line on the podcast, but I'll guess what the line is. And based on that, if I guess high, then I'll pick that team if it makes sense, right? Like the Packers and the Jets, for example. I think the Packers should be favored by 10 points in that game. If they're favored by six, I'll take the Packers. Makes sense. That's how I'm going to do it moving forward. Uh, So that's what I got. So for Thursday night football, we have a game that we already talked about because we don't think it's going to be a particularly good game. Washington is at Chicago, and I haven't looked at the line yet. But if I had to guess, Chicago is probably three and a half because they're looking at this game kind of as a pick So if I had to guess, I would say it's about three and a half for Chicago. 
Um, and let me look at it right now. No, it's minus a half. So I think Chicago's going to win. It's that simple. Carson Wentz is going to do something stupid that's going to cost him the game, and I think Chicago is going to win and cover that half-point spread at home on Thursday Night Football tonight against the Washington Commanders. All right, that's going to do it for the episode. Again, as always, if you like it, share it. That's what helps the podcast grows, and it helps me. So like, subscribe, share, and until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Change it up, oh, oh, oh. always on my road. Oh, oh, oh. I'm still New York. You're the only oh, oh, oh. that I'll ever know. Oh, oh. My concrete walls. Oh, oh. I'm still New York. I'm still New York. Ooh. Oh, I'm still New York. Ooh. Yeah, and I wanna drive down. See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air when I land in another city I'm still here.